I don't know if you're like me, but I love getting an invitation. You know, an invitation is something somebody mails you or texts you or emails you, right? And it, uh, it says, hey, we want you to come and be with us. Or we want you to do this activity with us, whatever it might be. And I, I guess I get excited about it because deep down, I'm just a social person by nature. So when I get an invitation, that means that I'm getting invited to some kind of an event, a party, a wedding, some other social gathering. And that's just the way that I'm wired. But there's also this anticipation that once I get that invitation, now I've got this margin of time that starts to build anticipation until we get to that moment, right? I love that. But probably the most significant part of getting an invitation is knowing that the person who sent it to me wants me to attend. They sent it to me. They want my presence there. The host wants me to be at their event, their gathering, and that makes me feel valued. Everybody wants to be wanted. I believe that. And when you get an invitation, they're saying, hey, we didn't invite everybody, but we did invite you because we want you to be here at our thing. And that says something to us, doesn't it? Invitations come in a variety of formats. There's the formal invitation. Probably the best example of that is a wedding invitation, right? There's this formal invitation that's usually specifically designed for that unique individual event. And it uses a a unique color palette and often comes embossed on high quality paper. That's a formal invitation. But then there's the informal invitation. And that's oftentimes a printed invitation too, but it, it can be purchased in a box of 12 or 15 or 20 at your local Hallmark or in the cards, card aisle at your local grocery store. Or maybe it, it comes in a digital format today and you can text it or email it. But one thing about the informal invitation, it's usually generic and you gotta fill in the pertinent information But there's a third kind of invitation, and that's the casual invitation. And that's when you get a text message or a phone call from someone, and they say something simple or basic like, hey, would you like to come over for dinner? It's the exact opposite of the formal invitation, except for one thing. They want you to join them the same way that they want you on a formal invitation to be a part of their event. Regardless of whether an invitation is formal, informal, or casual, every one of them carries with it that important truth, and that is this. An invitation means someone values you. I hope you get an invitation this Christmas because I want everyone to know how valuable they are. They want you to join them for a special event or a special gathering when you get an invitation from them. They could have invited anybody, but they invited you. And that should tell you that you're important to them. Now there's one other thing I think about invitations that's important, and that is that there is a list of basic information that comes on an invitation specifically tailored to that event. There's the what, which tells you what the event is. And then there's the when, which gives you the time. And then there's the where, which tells you where this whole thing is going to take place. Information like this is very important if you're planning to attend that event. This information is the basic purpose 
for an invitation. So as we enter into this Christmas season, there's going to be a lot of invitations sent out, inviting people to all kinds of gatherings over the next few weeks. But this isn't anything new. In fact, 2,000 years ago, God actually invited several people to attend the very first Christmas. And as Philip mentioned, today we're starting a brand new series titled, You're Invited. And in this study, we're going to take a look at the invitation that God sent to all of mankind. You know, throughout the Old Testament, God had sent announcements predicting this very special event. This event was so significant that God sent out hundreds of years in advance announcing various aspects of this huge event. We call these announcements prophecies. And the big event that these prophecies were pointing to, that they were announcing, was the birth of the Messiah. Now I want us to take a look at just a few of these. And they give us some insight, hundreds of years in advance, the significance of this event. From the prophet Jeremiah, we know that the Messiah will be from the family line of King David. We read this in Jeremiah 25, verses 5 and 6. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. And then from the prophet Micah, we learned that the Messiah was born in the tribe of Judah, in the region of Ephrathah, in the town of Bethlehem. This is what Micah 5, verse 2 says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And then from the prophet Isaiah, we know that the Messiah will be born to a virgin. Isaiah seven fourteen. therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and you will call him Emmanuel. That name, Emmanuel, means God with us. God's actually coming to visit mankind in human form, Isaiah said. And then the psalmist tells us that the Messiah will be worshiped by shepherds from the desert and foreign kings will present gifts to him. Listen to what I, Psalm 72, verses nine and 10 says, may the desert tribes bow before him and his enemies lick his, the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. All of these prophecies and many more announced the arrival of the Messiah. This epic event was so significant because the Messiah was coming into the world to set mankind free 
from our sins. So if you can imagine, you know, on, a, on an invitation, the what always tells us the event that you're being invited to. So on God's invitation, the what says, the king is born. The king, the king is born. Not just any king, but the king of kings. This is the birth of the Messiah. God had planned a very important event and he sent out several invitations to request some special individuals and groups of people to attend this event. And it's so significant, this event, that it actually defines time. We, we build our history on what happened before this event and what happened after this event. That's how significant this event was. So let me tell you who was on the guest list. First on the list was a young woman named Mary. Mary was visited by an angel who personally invited her to participate in this event. The angel announced to her that she would conceive a child by the Holy Spirit and give birth to a son, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. Joseph was also on the guest list. He was visited by an angel inviting him to participate in this event also. Joseph was pledged to be married to Mary, as most of you may know. But when he learned that Mary was pregnant, he decided to divorce her privately. But the angel spoke to him in a dream, instructing him, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then there was a group of shepherds, kind of an odd group to be added to the guest list, but they were invited by an angel as well. In fact, eventually there's a whole sky full of angels. The, the text says there's a host of angels, but the original angel invites them to come meet the Savior. He calls him, he is Christ the Lord. And after Mary and Joseph, these Shepherds of the lowest caste of people were the first to meet the Messiah. And then there's a group of wise men. They're from the east. They saw a star inviting them to come meet the newborn king of the Jews. That's how they found out about it. It was a star. They would follow the star traveling a long distance, but when they arrived, they weren't greeted by as dignitaries, they actually came to worship the Messiah. This event doesn't look like much when you first look at it, the very beginning. Initially, it's just Mary and Joseph, and the optics are, let's be honest, they're pretty unimpressive. Mary and Joseph are not very impressive people by you know, outer appearances. She's a single mom, and she's with her fiance, and they take a trip required by the census. And they arrive at their destination only to find that there's no place for them to stay in the entire town. One innkeeper took pity on this couple because she was pregnant. And so he offered the stable out back as a place for shelter. Soon after settling into the stable, this young woman goes into labor. And it's in that stable in Bethlehem that God chose 
for the beginning, the entrance into the world for the Messiah. That's where he was born. The prophet Isaiah gave the formal announcement in Isaiah 9, 6. He said, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It may not have seemed like much at first glance, but that night the Savior came into the world. There were two other people who were on the guest list. Two people who you may never have heard of before. In fact, they're kind of obscure even in the scriptural text. Two people who for years had been reading the announcements from the prophets. They were very familiar with all the information about the Messiah. They anticipated his arrival, and it might seem odd that these two were actually invited, but they were, and we read their stories in Luke, the second chapter, starting with verse 25. If you have a Bible and you want to follow along, turn to Luke chapter 2, verses 25. These two obscure people that I'm talking about are Simeon and Anna. And we start in verse 25, looking at Simeon's story. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required. Luke introduces us to Simeon, and he says to us that he is righteous and devout. Now, righteous probably refers to his behavior in general, and devout is a reference to his spiritual activities such as prayer and the giving of alms in the temple and also fasting. In addition... He's anticipating the arrival of the Messiah. He's waiting expectantly for his appearance. So it's likely that his faith is fresh and vibrant. Even though he's living during a spiritually weak period of time in his nation. Moreover, he is moving about under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. The influence of the Spirit of God is on him. We wouldn't we don't really know how old Simeon is. Though tradition tells us he was very old. But we don't know. Had he been waiting to see the infant Jesus for a long time? We don't know, but what we do know and we'll see here in the text is that once he sees Jesus He says, now I can die. Whether he was much older or not, whether he'd waited a long time or not to see the Messiah, everyone who knew him, they were fully aware of his devotion to the Messiah that God had promised to send. And then Luke tells us this about Simeon in verse 25. He says, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. 
The consolation of Israel, it's a name that was given to Jesus. It's kind of an interesting phrase. It doesn't, it's not something that we can immediately wrap our heads around and go, well, oh, that makes, I know what that means. You have to kind of dig into it. But it's a reference to the coming messianic age, the beginning of the Messiah. You see, to console means to alleviate grief or to take away a sense of loss or trouble. So the Messiah, who's called the consolation of Israel, would come and remove sorrow and give comfort to the nation, to the people of God. Simeon and generations before him waited for the coming of the one who would console God's people. Isaiah predicted that the Messiah would take on the ministry of consolation. Look what he says in Isaiah, the 40th chapter, verses one to two. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her heart service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. Jesus not only comforted the nation in the first century, but he continues to comfort people even today. He's called a good shepherd because he loves his sheep. Well, Simeon's story continues in verse 28 and following. He says, Simeon took him in his arms, that's Jesus, and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Many people think that what Simeon was saying here was actually a song, a worship song. He's blessing God for keeping his promises that he would send the Messiah and he got to see him just as the Holy Spirit had told him he would. And he praises God that he's had the privilege to not only see this Messiah, but to hold him in his arms. Simeon's song tells us something, I think, significant, and that is this. As bad as it may have been in Israel, the kingdom of God had an incredible future because of this little baby, Simeon Holt. Through the infant he held in his arms, the kingdom would expand dramatically. And it would include Gentiles as well as Jews, which was a huge, significant shift. As far as Gentiles were concerned, Jesus was going to give light or a revelation about God to them, about God's character and his love for them and the plans that he has. And at that moment when Simeon spoke, those Gentile nations They were presently in darkness, spiritual darkness. And there were many centuries of spiritual darkness ahead for some of them still. But Simeon, he may not have known how the revelation that he was giving that day would be conveyed. But but we know today that Jesus made a seismic impact among the Gentiles because most of us are part of that nation, the Gentile nation. Many living today are also living in spiritual darkness, 
And the only one who can give them light, spiritual light, is Jesus. And that is what he is doing even now, drawing sinners to himself from all the nations of the world. Well, let's see the the last part of Simeon's story. We read this. The father's child, excuse me, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There are two pieces of very important details that about Jesus that Simeon gives us here in verse 34. He says, Jesus will save many Israelites who initially opposed him. He will be like a stone over which many will stumble, Scripture tells us. When Simeon says that those who initially fall will rise again, it seems to mean that they will put their faith in him. And then the second part, second important detail about Jesus that Simeon gives us in the text is that the way that their hearts, those who are changed, the way that their hearts are changed will be connected to a time when Jesus will be opposed. This point in time is identified as when a sword would pierce the heart of Mary. It's difficult not to see this as a specific reference to what happened at the cross. The degree of the opposition toward Jesus was revealed at Calvary because it was there that Mary experienced deep sorrow, seeing how her son was rejected and eventually crucified. Simeon is describing how the gospel often affects people. Initially, they oppose it because it points out their sin. It reveals their sin. It condemns them because of their sin. Yet, through the persistent application of the gospel to their minds and their hearts, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they discover that they're drawn to this suffering Savior And eventually, many will embrace him by putting their faith in him. In doing so, they move from opposition into a relationship that will never end. As Paul said, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Luke tells us that it was the Holy Spirit that invited Simeon to meet Jesus that day. The Holy Spirit was the one that had him there so he could meet Jesus. The Holy Spirit had told him, you will meet him. You have the opportunity, which is a key point for us today because God still invites people to meet Jesus today. It's one of the reasons it's so important for us at Christmas, especially the Christmas Eve services, such an easy opportunity to invite people who might be far from God to have a chance to meet him face to face. You see, the reason Jesus came to earth was to fix what man had broken. He wants everyone to experience that remedy 
He doesn't want anyone to miss out on it. He came to restore the relationship between God and man. Sin separated people from God, but Jesus came to forgive sin by dying as an atoning sacrifice, washing away our sins. Well, that's Simeon. Maybe it's the first time you ever met him or heard about him, but he was invited. He was one of the honored guests to meet the Messiah. Well, there's a second person who was invited to the temple that day as well to meet the Messiah, and her name is Anna. And we read her story in Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 36. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then, as a widow, until, he was, until she was 84, she never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them, that's Mary and Joseph, at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. We don't know much about this prophetess named Anna. In fact, these three verses are all the Bible has written about her. So there's a lot that we'll never know this side of heaven. But what we do know about her is that she was invited to meet the Messiah. This 84-year-old widow never left the temple, Luke tells us, which is most likely hyperbole. She didn't live there necessarily, but she probably spent nearly all of her time in the temple worshiping and fasting and praying. And that's one of the things that you immediately notice about Anna, that she's a prayer warrior. During services, Anna didn't have a prominent place in the temple. Instead, she would have been found in some quiet corner. When the praises of the priests and the Levites were going up to heaven, this quiet woman would have been praying, lifting up and praying over every worshiper present. And when children were brought into the temple like Jesus was to be presented to the Lord, the dedication of the parents would be supported by the prayers of Anna. She was at home with those who were innocent and righteous. She would never be found at a local feast or a worldly gathering. But wherever there was a need for God, wherever there was a cry for the Lord, that's where you would find Anna. If there was a need for prayer, you would find Anna. And the same instinct from the Holy Spirit, which gave Simeon eyes to see the baby Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the same Holy Spirit led Anna to give thanks to God. You see, she too recognized her Redeemer. The other thing that you'll notice about Anna is she testifies about Jesus. It may be Anna was a woman of few words. Often people who pray intensely are just like that. But the text says she did speak. It says she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. 
She may not have said much, but when she did speak, her one topic was the Messiah. She testified to who Jesus was and why he mattered so much, and she knew who would understand her too. She knew there were some who would understand her. Probably the majority of the population in Jerusalem didn't even know that Anna existed, but she knew all of those who did, those that the text says who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. There's a little group, probably not all that big, who are anticipating the coming redemption with eyes that are focused on the coming king and focused on his coming kingdom. They lived in an atmosphere that was at odds with the world around them. King Herod and most of Jerusalem were troubled when they learned about the birth of Jesus, but not this group. Anna's entire soul was filled with adoration for this newborn king. You see, the senior prayer warrior saw this birth as the answer to her prayers. She'd been praying for decades. Simeon and Anna, two people who it might surprise you that they were invited to meet the Messiah, but they were. They had read all that the prophets had taught and they took all those facts about the Messiah in and they started to get excited because they felt like they had been invited and the excitement was just building. And then the Holy Spirit one day made all the arrangements so that they were there the day Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple. And Simeon and Anna were honored guests who had the privilege to meet the Messiah that day. Let me close. When you get an invitation, whether it's a formal or, or casual invitation, it almost always requires that you send an RSVP. You know what an RSVP is. An RSVP is a French expression meaning repande s'il vous plaît. Impressed, aren't you? I had three years of French one and it's finally paying off. That translates in English to simply please respond. Because when we get invited, the host needs to know if we plan to attend. So we respond by returning the card that was enclosed in that invitation or by simply sending a text or a phone call that says, I'll be there or I send my regrets, I can't make it. It's common courtesy to send an RSVP. Remember that. An invitation means that someone values you. So our response back to them is very important to them. You know, God has sent every one of us an invitation, an invitation to have a relationship with his son, Jesus. He offers hope through that relationship that can give your life meaning and purpose and it can make your life last for all eternity. You get to be part of the family of God. He's waiting to hear from some of us. If you've never accepted God's offer to forgive you of your sins, please don't waste any more time. 
RSVP today. Jesus is waiting. He puts it this way in Revelation 3.20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. He's waiting to hear from you. So go ahead and accept his invitation to meet the Messiah. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for sending the Messiah. Thank you for sending Jesus to repair what we had broken in our relationship with you, our sin that had separated us from you. And God, for that precious gift of your son who is willing to come and fix that, we praise you today. Jesus' birth is one of the greatest, most important events in all of history. And yet you invited common people to attend, people like Simeon and Anna, who some people would scratch their heads and say, why did they get invited to meet the most important person ever to walk on the face of the earth? And yet these two would have been lost in history except that you invited them to meet Jesus. God, you continue to invite all people regardless of their status or their value by the world's standards. You invite all people to have a relationship with you. And we are so grateful to be included in that, Lord. Please, Holy Spirit, move as you did in Simeon and Anna's hearts and minds. Move those today who haven't responded to your invitation yet. I pray no one misses that chance to have a relationship with you, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name.